So you open Google Chrome on your phone, you're hunting for a super rare first edition vinyl of a band you're obsessed with when you're supposed to be working. But the site you tapped on seems pretty shady. And Daryl from IT just jumped up from his desk. Oh no, he's coming your way. It's a good thing built-in malware protection keeps you safe and sound. Not from Daryl though, sorry. There's no place like Chrome. Download Google Chrome on your phone. And welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor Nolan. And today I'm joined by a special guest, Eric Bigger. Hello, Eric. Hey, Taylor. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm phenomenal. Feeling good. Feeling great. Awesome. So some of you guys might remember Eric from Rachel's season of The Bachelorette. But today we're here to just kind of talk about being black in America and talking about, you know, Black History Month. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about it, yes. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about all the things, the uncomfortable things, the right. more comfortable things. Um, we're just really going to put it all out there. So one of the reasons I, I mean, when I watched you on Rachel's season, I feel like I could somewhat relate to you because you spoke about like living in Baltimore and I was like, oh, Baltimore, like I used to live there. So I'm hoping maybe you can give us a little bit of background on what growing up in Baltimore was like. I mean, when I lived there, we definitely saw like a big racial divide. And I think in the last few years, that's become, you know, even more, it's, it's gotten more attention uh, nationwide with like Freddie Gray and, and all of that stuff. So what was it like for you growing up? Um, you know, growing up in Baltimore, I never witnessed the divide in the world because it was predominantly black, mm-hmm. you know, environment, Baltimore City. Now, what but part I of did, Baltimore were you in? Were I was in? from West Baltimore. So I live okay. like uh, right off of North Avenue, you know, yeah. area known as White Lock, White Lock City. You know, everybody has a neighborhood name. Okay, and yeah. it was drug infested. It was crime. It was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ad, crack addicts. It was all that and above. So basically, I think in the community, we just had a lack of information to better the situation. And I think growing up, a lot of people, at least a lot of guys, you know, we even played sports or you sold drugs. And when I really, you know, look into it, I thought about it, you know, years. I've been in L.A. for seven years now, since 2010. And I was just trying to figure out, I was like, why does everybody sell drugs? You're like, you know, and, and when I thought about it. Everybody sells drugs because that's what they see mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. They don't see doctors. They don't see lawyers. They don't see, uh, you know, they might see that mom and dad going to work, but they don't see them physically working. They see their uncles, their brothers, their cousins, they even playing sports or they're in the streets. Mm-hmm. And that's like our lane. That's like our genre of living, our livelihood. Mm-hmm. And I was a good kid. I went to school. I love learning. And I play sports. So I was simple. I didn't get in trouble. I got good grades and I played ball. And I think basketball, you know, not only, you know, compelled my life, but saved my life and gave me something to give my time and energy and attention to. So basketball was the way to give me life outside of life because everything outside of that was negative. You know, he was in the streets, you know, your mom and dad was there, but they were working, trying to survive and take care of home. So So emotionally, you didn't get that a lot. Yeah. So what do you kind of attribute to you taking this other path of sports versus drugs when that was a lot of what you saw? Like, what do you think it was for you that 
allowed you to take that other path? I think it was, you know, seeing my, my dad and my uncle and my friends, you know, they were in the streets, you know, my dad and my uncle, they, they were very successful in the streets. And I remember I was even 15 or 13. I remember I was a teenager for sure. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to make all the money, but I'm going to do it the right way because I, I saw their failures, you know, yeah. in and out of prison, people were dying, getting killed. And I didn't want that for myself. And I knew there was something bigger than just Baltimore City, bigger than selling drugs, bigger than the violence and the crime and the negativity in the neighborhood. So I was just curious and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna play ball and I'm gonna do the best I can. And from there, that's just was my intention at a young age. I already had my mind made up, you know, mm-hmm. and I just went from there. Yeah. See, so I'm having like a very uh, interesting month as I, as I kind of dive into the issues within the black community and within just how America perceives uh, black culture in general. And, you know, I'm half black, half white. And I was never really in touch with uh, the black side of my family. And it wasn't until like a few years ago that I started to actually develop relationships with them. And I have a lot of uh, siblings. So my biological father has had several other children with other women. And I'm the only one that is uh, biracial. The other siblings are black. And uh, one of my brothers now I've developed a relationship with and um, he's 21 and just like hearing his experiences and and how he you know is is kind of stuck in life and is wanting more for himself but doesn't know how to get there and doesn't really have the support or the resources to get there has been like really hard for me to hear so it's it's nice to hear that you know, you kind of had that motivation and you were able to make it work and um, choose a different path. And, you know, my biological dad has also had the same issues with, you know, selling drugs and ending up in jail. And, um, you know, it's it's a really sad cycle. And I think we we mo- we model the behaviors that, that we see, you know. And Absolutely. it could be very easy, like for my little brother even, to just start selling drugs and, you know, just going to the streets because that's what he's seen. And it's a lot of what we talked about in my last episode about privilege, about uh, have you heard of Peggy McIntosh's um, Unpacking the Backpack of Privilege? No, I haven't. So she basically, she was doing a study on uh, male privilege at the time and then discovered like, oh, wait, there's actually like a white privilege that's here too. And she lists like 26 things of how you, how, of how you can learn that you do have some privilege of being white. And one of those things was that um, more oftentimes than not, you can say that you have grown up in a way or you've been told that how the country was made, that your people that the people that look like you were how your country was like made. And it's like, yeah, growing up as like a young black male, like what are you really yeah. taught about? That's, that's, that's a great question because, yeah. uh, I mean, from my experiences, I didn't have a lot of hands-on guidance. You know, a lot of the stuff that I've, you know, come across and learned is self-taught and, you learn from watching and you learn from doing. And 
I just think in the black community was not there, which I lacked the most. So what I wanted the most was the emotional support. Yeah. So what I realized when you don't have emotional support, and it's in any relationship, you know, black, white, Mexican, mm-hmm. Asian, when you don't have that emotional support or intimacy from your family or the people around you, it's hard for you to go out and be more than be more than what the statistics say you're going to be because yeah. you're not getting that extra push at home. So for me, I think I had this drive in me, you know, that was like, oh, I'm going to figure it out. I want more. I know there's better. And it's needed. And I think that's what's lacking the most is emotional support, that love. And that's why most in, in inner city neighborhoods like Baltimore, a lot of the, the young men in the African-Americans, is, they're heartless. They don't mm-hmm. have that, that love, that compassion that, you know, they're broken. They're yeah. in pain because their mom and dad are trying to make ends meet by working every day and they're trying mm-hmm. to survive and they're trying to put food on the table and they're trying to, you know, buy you clothes yeah. and give you the thing, you know. They're still then, struggling with like the lower hierarchy yeah. of needs of just trying to get those basic needs met that they can't really get right. to a place where it's like, okay, yeah, let's sit down and talk about our feelings. And I think right. that's partially one of the things that I'm learning now that like my younger brother is struggling with, like reaching out to me just to have someone to listen to him and that that was yes. a really big thing for him. And I was like, wow, like I... I cannot take for granted how I was raised and the love and support that I had around me. Not to say that that his family doesn't love him, but you know, I think I think that that also kind of gives us a view into how the stigma of mental health and talking about your feelings yeah. and stuff kind of is created within the black community. Yeah, and I think and I think, you know, the emotional support is one. Um information. I say information changes situation. And just having feedback, you know, affirmations, compliments, reassurance, like those three things, if a child has that, no matter what environment they're in, they can somewhat become more and do more because those are the necessities I think a person needs. And it's all intangible. Mm -hmm. I call it emotional riches. You know, if I come home every day and I have a son or I have a wife and I'm talking to them, I'm listening to them. Um, giving them feedback, and I'm just there. I'm present with them every day. More than likely, they're going to be able to help me, and I'm going to be able to help them because we're we're we're, we're talking to each other in a place where we're here. We're not just oh yeah, go you know go there, do this, do that, with no emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. And as people, we need that. Yeah. Like you know, sometimes I might walk outside, I might see a stranger, and it's like. I might be moved. It's like, can I give you a hug? And he's like, and they and they want a hug. You know, yeah. it's like, well, let's get that but, you ask first before touching them. <laughs> yeah, because you know when I'm moved to do things, I'll ask, and just being vulnerable and saying like, or as a young man, you couldn't cry. Mm-hmm. I didn't cry until the age of 25. Yeah, because you got to be strong. You got to be hard, and it's like, yeah, but you know, you're hurting yourself because you're not being real with your emotions and your feelings. So you, yeah. you would suppress everything inside of you because of your environment. And really what would make you actually very strong would be to discuss those emotions and to let yourself feel those because those are more vulnerable and that takes, you know, a lot more courage to actually stand up and do than to just say, I'm not going to cry because that's weak. Like it's, it's right. weird how we as a society and then I think especially within the black community too have like flipped the meaning of weakness, you know, that, that showing emotion is 
actually a very powerful, strong thing that you can do. And I think it it also goes to to show more of the stereotypes around black men, you know, that, that you are supposed to be these really strong uh, men who don't have any weakness and, right. and, don't, and don't, you know, it's like we have to remind ourselves that we are human and it's okay yeah. for us to feel things. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, what I came to over this past year is that to be, to be strong is weak and to be weak is strong. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that, I always take the analogy of, you know, going into the gym, right? If I go in the gym and I lift weights, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I, I warm up and I'm, I'm pumping it. And I put 225 on the bench and I lift it. I'm like, ah, I'm, you know, I'm strong. But if I go into the gym and I go try to lift the same weight with no warm up, I'm not as strong. But me not being as strong, that's not weak. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. Meaning that your real self, that's when you're your strongest because nothing, no one can take anything away from you. When you're vulnerable, when you're weak, that's your truth. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when we're strong and we, you know, we pump this weight or, you know, you put makeup on, you know, your outer, you know, you're protecting the inner. That's not your real self. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm flexing in front of the mirror and you see my muscles, that's not my natural state when I wake up. But yeah. perception-wise, you might think, oh, that guy is strong. And really, like, no, that's not the truth. The truth is, who am I when I wake up and I do no push-ups and I do no workout? Who am I when I go out and I have no makeup on and I don't dress up? That's, that's who you really are, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to appear that, no, I got this. I'm, I know what I'm doing. I don't cry. That's what, you know, it's like, listen, it's mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that speaks to practicing self-compassion. You know, we did an episode on that earlier on in the podcast. And it is like, I think, a huge step to accepting yourself for who you are. And one thing like, I mean, when I think about an area that I've had to practice self-compassion on a lot and an area that I've had to work in terms of my identity is around the, you know, the black part of my identity because it's, it's been an area that I definitely received a lot of shaming and bullying on growing up. And that part was really tough. And um, I'm going to do an episode uh, later this month about being biracial and going into that a little bit more. But I mean, I'm curious what, like how being black has helped shape your identity and if there have been like any struggles in that. Like I experienced a decent amount of racism as a young girl and, you know, I'm only half black. So I don't know. I mean, I know you were in Baltimore, so that's like a little bit of a different, I was in South Carolina. um, So I know that that maybe there's a different culture that's maybe more accepting and you were, you know, you grew up around people that that look like you, like I didn't. Yeah. So I think uh, from my perspective growing up, uh, like I said, I didn't see it early on, but I think my later years in life, I went to junior college. I went to junior college in Howard, Howard Community College. I played basketball there two years. Yeah. And there was a turning point in my life, and I got an epiphany. I was in a accounting class, and we had an exam for a test. And there was a white white kid next to me, and I was I wanted to look on his paper. Like, Man, let me look <laughs> on this guy's paper, right? Like, but something in me was like, don't look on his paper. So I was like, okay, I won't look on his paper. I'll just do what I think is right from from what I know. 
So I did look on his paper. Okay, whatever. Test is over. The next week, he get his test back. I get mine. He had like a 64. I had like an 82. Mm. So in that moment, the turning point was, now remember, I didn't grow up around white people. Mm-hmm. So the only perception of white people I had was that they're smart, they're doctors, they're this, they're that. And, you know, they're better from an intellectual perspective. And as African-American or black, we're better from an athletic perspective. Yeah. If you understand that what I'm saying. Your value is in your physical right. strength, which right. goes back to like history of right. enslavement, which is just terrible. Right. And so what happened was I broke that barrier that I, I shifted my paradigm of believing that because I always believe no one is you're better than no one and no one is better than you, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't conform to the stereotype or the ideals or the thoughts of this is who I am as a black person, as a black man, that I only can play sports. And I was always a smart in school and got good grades. But that perspective, that moment changed my existence that in my mind, because how I grew up and the things I heard, mm-hmm. I thought that whites were always smarter than blacks. Yeah. And that moment that shifted and it was no longer in my vibration, no longer in my mental that it didn't it didn't bother me. And now it was like, oh, this is not true. This just is what we've told been told years and years. And so what happens, if you know, faith comes from hearing. The more you hear something, the more you believe it. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had friends who never dated white women. Yeah. Like, man, I'm not dating a white girl, man. That's, I'm like, why? They're like, because, you know, that's, you know, I don't want to get a charge or, I mean, this is their perspective. This yeah. is this is their perception because this is what you've been told. This is what you see and you don't even know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't conform to the reality of what they wanted the young black man to believe. You're just this athletic guy and you can only play sports. The educational side is really not you. Not saying that's what I was, yeah. they were telling me, but that's what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. So, that was what you were taking it, in from your environment. Right. And then the fact that, you know, you can't date white girls. And if you do, then that means you're a predator, basically. Right. Yeah. Or, or that you're you going to be viewed that, as a predator. Right. Or that's that's not something we do. We don't date. We, that's not what black guys do. Or, you know, yeah, it I mean, was just wrong. It was jaded. It wasn't right. It was just a misconception. And we live these things every day, not knowing the reality of what it really is, mm-hmm. because we afraid we are afraid of different. Yeah. And so I think what I did was embark on being a universal human, mm-hmm. being more than just black, you yeah. know, being more than just because it's bigger than being black. It's bigger than being it white. Is. It's about it having is. understanding what is what and who is who and mm-hmm. why these people think that way. Exactly. Yeah. I think we allow race to be a barrier to actually getting closer to each other as people. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So I want to take a quick break to share this app that I've been using called LifeSum. I've talked about it a few times on the podcast because I just love using it and I really want you guys to check it out. Their goal is to help people to achieve healthier lives, which I'm totally on board with. I'm becoming really obsessed with their healthy recipes feature, which you can have access to as a premium member. But don't worry, I have a hookup for you. You can go to lifesum.com slash let's talk and you can get access to these recipes for 30% off. I had this beautiful breakfast bowl, totally Instagram worthy, but I just started eating it instead because it looked so delicious and it was as delicious as it was beautiful. 
It had mixed berries, bananas, some watermelon and honey. It was so tasty and it just made me feel like summer is on the way. It was such a nice treat. You can upgrade to get access to delicious meals like this for 30% off by going to lifesum.com slash let's talk for 30% off your premium membership. But back to the show. I, I'm I'm really curious, you know, I I don't like to talk a whole bunch about Bachelor or Bachelorette on the show, but it, it I learned a lot about race from going on the show. And I mean, you were like the first black person to make it as far as you did on Bachelorette, but you were also on the first season that had a black Bachelorette. So I'm curious what, you know, in, in terms of your pursuit of being more of a universal human and letting go of that and then going on national TV, like what that experience taught you? Well, I think what happened was, first of all, I didn't know it was such a big divide yeah. in America. That's what I was, that's what kind of shocked me. Cause like I said, I grew up around predominantly black people. I went to a, a predominantly white school at Howard Community College. And then I went to Hampton University, an all black institution and graduated from there. And then I came to LA. But so when I was on the show and there was all these different personalities and all these people from different backgrounds and different race and, well, you know, and then post-show, watching the show and seeing the fans and mm-hmm. seeing, you know, the supporters and people's comments and the trolls. And it's just yeah. like, wow. It's seeing, a lot to take in. Yeah, you see, you, see, you see this person's following, you see that person following, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And you're saying like, oh, wow, there is a difference. Yeah. There is some backlash. There is some hate. There is some resistance. Well, there's Why definitely is it some, that way? Yeah, there's definitely some preference. And that's something we talked about in the last episode too about privilege about how you know even the um the implicit association tests where you know you're judging good and bad and like european american and african american and it's just it's super quick it's an implicit test and that it was like 50% of black people preferred white and 70% of white people preferred white and it was just it was this clear you know finding over and over and over again that we have a societal preference for white. What? Because it's safe yeah, based well, on and the perception of we put out. It, white has been what has been in power and white, and, and again, it's not an attack on white. It's not saying that white is bad or white like should be ashamed, but just acknowledging that, yeah, white has had the power and white has, has been the preferred. And so when you go on, you know, we all grow up in our different cultures, our different communities, but going on national TV, and granted, there's also a certain, uh, you know, demographic of people who enjoy watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette, but that you definitely see the racial tension in America reflected in your experience on the show. Yeah. And I, and I think what, what people have to really look deep into is that, you know, the majority is the majority, the minority is a minority. Mm-hmm. So what I think happens is, you know, as a black man, you know, considered minority, right? So what happens, what I think from some people of, you know, the black culture, African-American, is that because we're a minority, we look at it as, honestly, it's not even about, we don't think we qualify because we don't, because we don't quantify. You see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? If you look at the percentage, if I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think 
Caucasians are 30 to 33% of America and blacks about 12 or 13%. So that's a, that's just a difference right there in just numbers, right? Yeah, I have a um, from the NAACP in 2015 that African Americans and Hispanics make up only 32 percent of the population. Uh huh. Yeah, but they make up 56 percent of incarcerated people. (laughs) Right, and so we're so we're outnumbered when it comes to that. So the fact that we're outnumbered, we think we don't qualify. It's not that we don't qualify; we don't quantify. Mm -hmm. So when you don't quantify, you don't know you don't qualify. Yeah. So I think it's just a misconception of. Well, I'm not good enough. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not even that. It's like if we go in a room and it's you and I and we're considered black or minority and there's 28 other people and you pick a raffle, what's the chances of us getting picked? We're yeah. two out of, out of the 30. That, mm-hmm. So it's, the chances are not high. And it's not no not to, not to us. That's just the truth of the situation. But yeah. that doesn't mean we, doesn't quali- we don't qualify for the position. Mm-hmm. So I think what ha- has to happen is that all people, not just blacks, and minorities of people of color, uh, white, we have to get out of our mind that we don't have to believe the perception that the world puts on us. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, I mean, we can be more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that I personally saw that reflected going on the show too, as like a microcosm of, you know, daily life. And I don't know if, if, if more of it is just that we don't see um, other people of color more predominantly in our society or in the media or in government. Um, but I know for me also, even just being picked to be on the show, I was like, wait, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. Like, I'm not like, this this position should be going to like a white girl like it didn't it didn't feel real to me that it was like an opportunity like this that someone would would want to give attention to me and and part of that was coming from an insecurity of what i've been told about my racial identity growing up so right. the, and and again it's not that i didn't qualify it's not that i didn't have a, like a lot to bring to the table and then you kind of get on the show and it's this whole different comparison game but i think that we do the same things in our daily life and that you just see it play out throughout America. And it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, literally after I got off the show, I don't know if if you got this, but um, there was a Facebook group of, it had a really, uh, I forget the the title of the group, but it was basically for like the colored people of the show. And (laughs) it, it was, I think it was colored enough to not make it or something. I don't know. It, it, had, it had a good quirky title to it, but I was like, wow, like it just went to show me that like people of color weren't really represented on the show and that America didn't know how to react to people of color on the show. They don't. And so you know they had to create their little community. <laughs> yeah. Every time I go out sometimes, more than likely, everyone thinks I'm DeMario. It's like, yeah, DeMario, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember I met Chase for the first time, like Demario. I was like, "No, bro, yeah. no, that's not me." But it's yeah. just—it's like they don't see the difference because maybe they don't know how to see the difference. I don't know, but it's been very consistent mm-hmm. that when you see a black man or you see someone of color, you put them in a box and automatically think that this person is that person. Yep. And it's like that's not true. I love you know that. they don't. They don't take the time to even realize, like, no, that's well, not because that, I no. think again, because the the quality has not been emphasized in our society, right. so right. it's looked, it's 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 almost just like a you know overlook. And I mean, I can relate when 
when I was in LA, there were multiple times that me, Dominique, and Jasmine were out, and people would either mistake Jasmine for Rachel, <laughs> and like we're so uh-huh. excited for her to be the next Bachelorette, to be the first Black Bachelorette, and we're like, this is the wrong girl. <laughs> yeah, and, and they don't even know. It's like it's a blind spot. Yes, exactly. Yes. So it's it just shows you to go you, the, how deep people look into life cultures and if things don't matter they don't matter not because people don't want them to because they're not known to make them important because mm-hmm. of how, what's what's given so it's interesting yeah it, it definitely is there's a guy named gary zukov this is who i got the universal human thing from and he talks about community he's like community is not just standing in your race or where mm-hmm. you come from it's about coming together and so as i said before i think People don't want to dive deeper into a character or a person that's different to them because it's too different. They don't understand it or it might, you know, well, force too, too much effort to get to know what is this about. Because yeah, well, people I mean, are afraid of scary. different, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think and, there's a big fear of being misunderstood. There's also part of what I talked about last episode where, like, you don't really want to talk about privilege or you don't want to talk about these uncomfortable topics because you know that it'll be heavily criticized and you're scared of getting judged and you're scared of saying the wrong thing and that it has to be perfect and so even just creating relationships with people that don't look like you or that grew up differently than you it's like well you know oh I'm not really you know uh familiar with this person's culture and I don't want to be offensive so I'm just going to stay distant from it where it's like, no, like move in a little closer, like be open, like try and, and get to know their worldview. Yeah. And make a mistake because yeah. that's how you fix it. People are like, oh, no, we shouldn't say that. And I'm like, says who? Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because you don't want people to say, listen, the moment you position your life to be perfect and try to please everyone and try to be politically correct, you will suffer internally because then every day you got to play that role. Yeah. You well, put you're putting on. yeah, you're putting yourself in this like perfectionism box, and that doesn't allow you to be real, and that doesn't actually allow you to connect with people. And I think when we talk about race, it gets very uh, emotional, and people have very strong reactions. But at the end of the day, it's like we're literally just talking about other people for you to talk and connect to. Like that's it. Yeah. It's just it's just other people. Yeah, and it's okay if you say something that's out of line. It's like that's how you fix it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, like the, the Lee situation, for instance, everyone bashed Lee and they were mad at him. He's racist. He's this. Okay, cool. That's fine. But from my perspective, I get it. He didn't know better. Mm-hmm. That's how he was raised, the things he knew about or whatever. I forgave him. I moved on. I didn't live in those emotions of that moment because I knew what he was saying and doing. He just didn't know better because of how he was raised and what he was taught. Yeah, so I totally I forgot about that even happening on yeah. your season. But yeah, it, it did bring up a lot. I mean, for people who may not have watched the season, that Lee was... He, what 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 state was he from again? I think he's from, from Tennessee. I lived in Tennessee from Mississippi, one of the two. I don't know. Lived yeah. Somewhere in that area. Yeah, so I mean, that was his background and he had made some like racially offensive comments and I don't even know what else, but it, right. it definitely brought up a white black divide within the house or at least it did on the show yeah and but that's the thing so now but now that that has happened he has information he didn't have before and mm-hmm. i guarantee you he won't do the same he won't yeah. present the same attitude you know he'll think about it which is fine 
Mm-hmm. Because he had to go through that experience to make a mistake, to be wrong, to be hated, to have resistance against him, just to open up and see that there's you're wrong and you shouldn't have did that. But now he knows. Mm-hmm. Opposed to him to continue to process and not getting, you know, bantered on or making feel like he wasn't wrong, you know. So mm-hmm. I just think we need we need things to compel us to be better. We yeah. need struggle. We need resistance. We need haters. <laughs> mm-hmm. We need these things that we don't want, these uncomfortable conversations, yeah. these breakups, this heartbreak. We need these things because how do we become more? How do we become better? Mm-hmm. If everything is so consistent, yeah. there's no resistance. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that you experienced anything, at least on camera, um, or at least that was aired between you and Lee, but c- can you think of any experiences in your life where you were you know, racially offended or someone was, you know, you were experiencing racism or that resistance from people? Uh, I don't think so. This The thing about me, was, I can get along with anybody, right? Yeah. But what I realize about black people, so I play sports. Mm-hmm. I play sports. I was okay in basketball. I wasn't like killing it, but I was, I was noticeable. Like I could play. So, and I was cool. So I realized when you're black, <laughs> I just figured this out the other day, and you have a personality or you stand out or you are or you're accepted. educated. Yeah, you're accepted unquote. different in different genres of life and people. Yeah. You know, and I'm an extrovert, so I'm outgoing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm outspoken, I'm, I can have fun, laugh, silly, whatever, but I also can play ball. And so that that whole part of me allowed me not to experience the things that some yeah. people might experience. You no, know? You're, to- you're totally right. And that's like one thing that I definitely worry about, you know, developing this relationship with my younger brother now that, you know, he graduated from high school, but, you know, he only played basketball in freshman year. And just even the fact that it's like, oh, well, if only he had played sports, like he might've had a better opportunity, like that that's the one thing that he can bring to the table, like is really sad for me, but you know, he isn't as outgoing, like he is a little bit more shy and I don't necessarily see that self-confidence and that even belief of self-worth to like be out there and to do things. And I mean, he definitely has like the motivation for it and he wants to do, do those things, but even, you know, I was like trying to help him figure out school and figure out job. And I like put myself in that mindset of being like a young black male with a high school education and like was literally job searching on (laughs) indeed.com with that mindset. And I was like, oh my God, this is scary. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if they would want me for this job. Like, I don't know if they would accept me for that. Like, I didn't feel confident in it. And I was like, I don't know if that's the judgment that I'm putting on young black males or if it's the judgment that I've perceived from society that I'm then placing on myself as I imagine that I'm a young black male. Yeah, and I think that's what I said. We got to, you know, as as people, we just got to get out of the mind state of, as simple as this, People think because the, the, this girl right here, she's pretty, she's beautiful, that she's very secure herself. Mm-hmm. That's not always true. And yeah. so I think what happened is, is in life, life is in the mind and in our breath, right? So when you're happy, you breathe a certain way, right? When you're sad and you're stressed, you breathe a certain way. But we create stories in our mind every day. So if we're constantly hearing that we're less than on TV, newspaper articles, 
and you start believing that and taking that in, every yeah. time you go out in the real world, you going to attract those things and you're going to see those things Yep. because we get more, we focus on. So I think what your brother can do or other young men or young women, they have to change that mindset, shift their paradigm mm -hmm. and think that I am a human being before yeah. I'm anything. Absolutely. And when you believe that you don't, you don't walk into society with these, I'm black. I'm African-American, yeah. you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, because I never walked outside of my house and thought that. I'm like, nah, I'm me. I'm going to go do what I need to do, and mm -hmm. I'm not letting anything stop me. There's no resistance from that, you know, position because I'm not putting myself in that mind state that this is who I am. Like, yeah. you're more than just black. You're more than just Taylor. You're more than just what your birthday tells you. You're more than just what we see. So Absolutely. don't claim that. Don't claim your skin color. Don't claim your age. Don't claim where you come from. Don't. You're more than that. Mm -hmm. And so how do we get out of that is that shift our mind and say, you know what? I'm a human before I'm anything. And once you yeah. have that perspective, it's hard to probably receive. It 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 just flow easier and know that mm -hmm. and just understand that some people don't know better. So there are going to be racists. There are going to be judgments. There are going to be opinions. But as long as you know you and you love you for you, that's all. Yeah. That reminds me, I mean, you and I have spoken before, I think, about The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, and we discussed it in a previous episode, but, you know, he talks about your inner voice and literally imagining it as a roommate, like personifying your inner vo voice to another person um, and just being aware of that all throughout the day. And it does play a huge part in how you view yourself and then in turn how you, you know, view your outer world. And I think absolutely if people can reach that place where they can feel confident in themselves and just look at themselves for who they are and not necessarily their race or their age or their ethnicity or their uh, gender, you know, that we can reach a more accepting place and connect with each, with each other better. But I think a big a big part in even getting to that place of self-acceptance and having self-confidence is having that support, you know, having someone go. that you can actually talk to about those there things and having people that can connect to you and empathize with you. Like that's not a journey that you can, I mean, you can try to do on your own, but it, it, um, I think it was much more powerful when, when you share that with other people around you. And again, that's where like it's, it makes me sad to know that even just the mental health resources in the African-American community are lower and even the stigma around mental health being greater in that community, like, makes me feel quite sad. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Like you said, it's all about support. Yeah. And that's what we're lacking. And it's emotional support. Mm -hmm. The conversation space, the intimacy, the vulnerability, the understanding that it's okay. Yeah. And the perception, like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I used to work downtown LA as a door guy, right? Mm -hmm. So Skid Row was probably a mile away from where the club I, I was at. And homeless people would come by the club every day, ask for food, ask for water, whatever they needed. So what I realized is that as mental, you know, mental health is involved and things of that nature, First, we got to think about what does a person of color who's in that position, what's their perception of someone who's not their color? Yeah. So say, for instance, someone who's not their color can help them. Mm -hmm. Now, do they oppose that person based on their perception from what they've seen in life? Yeah. Or do they move forward and allow that person to help? Because mm -hmm. I do think in some people's mind, they only want to help be helped by those who look the same as them or who understand them yeah. from this, uh, you know, and well, that's fine. 
Yeah. Well, and I think a big part of that is the fear of being misunderstood. And yeah. also, I mean, it's hard for people to just get help in the first place for someone to even want to reach out and say, yeah. I'm ready for help or can you help me? Like just doing that in and of itself is a very hard place to get to and, and shows a lot of strength. So then to also be unsure if that person is even going to be able to understand you or empathize with you plays a huge part in that. Um, NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, uh, in 2009, they reported that only 2% of psychiatrists, 2% of psychologists, and 4% of social workers in America were African-American. So. Wow. I mean, imagine, again, the, all of the, I think, cultural struggles that, that we've kind of discussed within the black community and then going to see a, you know, white psychologist. Like, I, I mean, if I'm putting myself in that position, I can yeah. see where I would feel very unsure and I would feel like they probably have some biases and they're probably going to come in judging me and I'm not sure how I feel about that and that it could be a huge deterrent for going. Not And then on top of that, even just having medical or health insurance, um, in 2006, only one third of working adult African-Americans were insured. Right. Like, That's crazy. We're uninsured. And it goes back yeah. to, it goes back to information, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, books, you know, statistics, seminars, yeah. all these things that helped me get to where I'm at today is because I was curious mm-hmm. and I wanted you to know more. sought out the information. Yeah, I wanted to get the information. And I think as a black community, we're not told that going after information in that way is safe or cool. Mm-hmm. You know, reading a book per se is not like the coolest thing you can do as yeah. a brother. But there's where information can go. And not saying that, you know, black people don't read or not, you know, into that. It's just they're mo- that's what information is. I and mean, information is in books or mm-hmm. in, you know, statistics and readings and articles, case studies. But I think it, it feels maybe threatening or um, feels a little bit scary because, like we were talking about earlier, the the notion of you know, you having a strong likelihood of growing up and being an educated black male wasn't something that was necessarily instilled in you. So uh, the fact right. that you're, you are, you know, perceived and then self, self-taught self and talking to yourself that, you know, you should be playing sports and that's what's cool and that's how you're going to succeed. And, or you go to the streets and, you know, you got to, get in with get in with those people and get in with the streets and and work yourself that way that then when when that becomes the culture and then you go and read books and are focused on education that that puts you in a different category and it feels like you're maybe rejecting the culture that's been established or feels like you think you're better than everyone else and that's something you know uh, a piece of backlash that i got growing up from other black girls. It's a really hard place to get through. And again, you know, all these things that we hear from other people are things that we then internally absorb about ourselves. So being very aware of the messages and things that you're allowing to, you know, become absorbed within yourself to how you believe yourself to be. That if you are a young black male and you're going against what, you know, is common in your community, whether it's sports or going to the streets or selling drugs or whatever, that if you're going against that and getting those messages that, you know, if that's the path you want to take, 
You got to be strong and you got to be empowered to be taking that path that you are choosing for yourself. And again, that goes to what we were talking about, about just seeing yourself as a human being and having that self-acceptance and doing what you want to do for yourself and believing in yourself. Yeah. And that, I mean, I got an epiphany when you were talking that that's what I think it is. It's not only believing in yourself and, you know, being your natural self, but I think when it comes to being black, you have to have something to attach yourself to that stands out. So for me, it was sports. I could mm-hmm. play ball. So that was like the cover up. Like, okay, this guy can play basketball. He's tall. He can hoop. Great. But behind the scenes of being a basketball player, I was over here getting education. I was over here learning. I was over here getting AIDS. But no one knew. No one even thought about it. And maybe it wasn't something you even felt comfortable sharing. I mean, what? Well, for me, it, it wasn't even about sharing. It was just like I always pride myself on getting good grades. But what I'm saying is my friends never looked at me like, yo, he's smart. He got grades. Maybe they did. But because I, I could play basketball, that was, it's kind of like if you see mm-hmm. someone in a Mercedes Benz, your perception is, oh, they have, they must have some type of money or they're doing okay, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if I didn't play basketball and I was just this educated young man, then I would get backlash because then I don't yeah. have nothing that's cool to attach myself to. Yeah. You know, see, so. I remember being in high school and the thing I always thought was really weird and I was like, is this just my high school? But it was and maybe it was just the people that I was perceiving to be cool, but it was really cool in my high school to like be in the AP classes, to be in the honors courses, to be within the uh, honor society, that like those were the yeah. cool things to do. And it was predominantly the white kids that were like, those are the cool <laughs> popular white kids that like are in the National Honor Society. You know what I mean? And so right. I remember literally when I got into the National Honor Society, I like bawled my eyes out. Because I just, I was like, this isn't really something that happens to people that look like me. Like, they're all, this is all like the cool white kids. And like, now I'm one of the cool white kids. <laughs> it was really weird. But yeah, like, they're, right. it was definitely, it, it wasn't within the black culture at my school. It, it was the sports. That was what, like, made you the cool, popular kid, you know? Right. Within you got that good grace in mm-hmm. that community. And it's, that's, and that's what it's about. And so I think it goes back to what you were saying is that, People don't feel safe and feel comfortable to go out and read a book, to be educated, to, you know, become this intellect because it's not accepted from the majority in your community, which I get well, and, and I understand. And even what you were saying earlier about how, you know, when you looked at that, guy, that guy's test and you were like, oh, wait a second, like that really doesn't have to do with race. Like I can be smarter and to believe in yourself and that perhaps even going against that, like if, if what you grow up with is this notion that whites are smarter than blacks and you then try to pursue an education and all that, that it could feel like you're going against the grain. It could feel like you are, you know, fighting against something larger than yourself that perhaps feels really scary. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm like totally off here, but I'm just no, thinking. No, I get it. That's, that's right on, right on point because is, is, is a perception that you got to look at outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing I realized on my journey in life. I always was the friend who wanted my friends and like, man, let's do this. Let's go for it. Let's take risks. Let's win. Let's be successful. And then I realized everyone doesn't have that drive. Everyone doesn't have that mindset. And everyone doesn't have that support. Right. They don't have that support, you know, within themselves or from their family. And that's not everyone's purpose. Mm -hmm. So when I'm speaking to people and the people hear me talk, I say, listen, 
this is my truth. You have to follow your truth. Yeah. And I think sometimes in life, people are afraid to follow what's true to them, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm big on listening to my intuition. You know, I think the intuition is the, the highest form of human intelligence is your intuition, because I feel like that is so supreme to your life. Yeah. If you listen to it and you don't ignore it, Absolutely. And some people just don't understand it that way, but, and everybody's different. So there's no one way to be successful. There's no right way to be a person, you just have to do it the way it makes sense for your life and your livelihood because mm-hmm. we're all on a different path and journey and we all have a purpose. So, yeah. but it's, ha- it's all about understanding and perspective and coming together and mm-hmm. we talk about it. Yeah. You know, so thanks for that talk about it plug again. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, I think let's talk about it. Bigger talks. I mean, yes. conversation space. We talk about race, gender, mm-hmm. life. You know, relationships and all of the above in and between. So, yes. you know, the funny thing is I give you a fun fact. Give me a fun fact. So this how I know we're kind of like on the same wavelength, the same frequency, the same vibration. So I didn't, I knew you had a podcast. I didn't know the name of your podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I think my first initial name when I started it, like a few months ago and I did my deck and everything. I was like, oh, it's going to call it Miracle Season. Like, yeah, boy. And I'm like. Okay, I use that word enough. You know, everyone knows oh, I use it. You know, it is miracle season. You know, miracles don't come easy, but blah, blah, here. Then I'm like, okay, cool. I got something simple. Simple is perfect. Let's name my podcast, Let's Talk with Eric Bigger. <laughs> Two weeks later, my show producer said, ah, Taylor has the same name. It's just, let's talk about it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Swiped it. Swiped it. Hyped it. And then, you know, I went to Bigger Talks, which was, you know, better for the brand and the name. And but it's you know, somewhat the same. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about on my podcast is I wanna have bigger talks, bigger conversation about Mm -hmm. things people don't want to talk about. You know? We are so on the same wavelength here. Money, (laughs) religion politics sex yes gender all these things equality things that make you uncomfortable yeah like i say taylor how much do you have in your bank account right now oh i'm not telling you that <laughs> stop because literally the episode i just finished recording that is going to air a week before this episode is on emotional uh, piggy banks on emotional bank accounts <laughs> uh, you know you got to be emotionally rich you know yes yeah, very much on the same wavelength maybe eventually yeah. one day we can do a talk together or or a podcast yeah. where we are talking about it more but <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe this is the reason why we went on the show to create that platform for the world to come together and because you're, you're like you said you're biracial i'm you know i mm-hmm. don't have that mix but i have that understanding yeah it's so it's so it's so uh rare that i grew up predominantly black but then my mindset is like universal and i understand both sides mm-hmm. now, i look at someone like drake right drake is drake. He, you know it's like it's like, is he black or is he mixed? Or is he both? Like, what? It's like, he's but just the, the, him. Like, let, just let right, him be him. <laughs> right. But look look how he did it. He was on Degrassi. Yeah. Then he start rapping. And they was like, oh, he's corny. He's whack. He's mm-hmm. a cornball. Now look at him. He's yep. universal. He can make music for any and everybody. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves him. So if, not saying everybody wants to aspire to be Drake, but I mean, just his approach on life is very great because he... His reach is so far. He's not just touching people yeah. in his community in Toronto and black. He's touching people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, that's and I think what he's I, doing you know, that by being his authentic self and by speaking his truths. 
You know, right. like within his music, that's him creatively expressing himself. And that's something I think we should all be empowered to uh, do, you know? Yeah, we're, we're all one. We're all connected no matter where we are, mm-hmm. how we are, who we are. It's you're just like me and I'm just like you. We might have different entitlements, attachments, but we're all the same. We all bleed. We all cry. We all have feelings. And we yep. all go through stuff. You we know? all bleed so, the same color blood. Uh, yeah. We're all made of the same insides. (laughs) Some of us a little different than others, but... (laughs) Right, right, right. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod and for talking about all this stuff with me. It's been wonderful, and I really appreciate you like sharing your experiences and and your perspective. I think it's it's been really valuable and very connecting for me. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's win. Together yeah. we can do whatever, and I appreciate you, Taylor. Let's talk about it. We <laughs> talked about it. We was about it. We was in it for the beginning yes. to the end, and we did it yep. together. Yep, so we thank did you. Yeah. You're amazing. Tell Derek I said hello. Uh, hello. I wish you nothing but success and love. You guys just keep killing it, and um, hopefully I'll see you in March when you come to L.A. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank and, you so much, Eric. All right. Peace and love. Have a good one. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can find Eric on Instagram at Eric Bigger, and you can also catch him on his podcast, Bigger Talks on Podcast One. You guys can send me an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com with topics, questions, comments, but you can also leave us a review or rating on iTunes for that feedback as well. You can find the podcast on Instagram at letstalkaboutit underscore podcast. Thanks so much. I'll see you guys next time. When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Shop weekly sales and get personalized coupons to get the most value out of every trip, every time, whether you shop in-store or online. Download the Kroger app now to save big. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 